You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a podcast that exists to discuss and maybe set straight the rumor, the innuendo, the hidden details that surround some of your favorite bands and songs. Every week, Brian and I, we get together and we tell each other the story. We have another pod, we should say real quickly. It's called uh, Story Guys. We are the storyguys.com or we are the storyguys at gmail.com if you want to uh, send us an email and give us some suggestions on stories that we might want to tell. Let's get on with the show today entitled Richard Marks versus the Haters. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> you have the floor, uh, <laughs> Brian. The senator from Kentucky. Let's talk about Mr. Marks. Now, I will say that this is the most dangerous uh, I've ever felt like I'm being with rock and roll bedtime stories because, as you will hear, you'll hear why when I tell you this story about why this is kind of risky to talk about because Richard Marks pays attention to what people say about him. Yeah, and I don't um, know if you've seen him in those other Chuck Norris movies, but man, he he hurts. He looks like those punches are real. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Um, there could be repercussions to us discussing this controversial aspect of everyone's favorite 80s balladeer. I'm sorry. Let's not use a decade. Everyone's favorite balladeer. Here you go. Um, wow, well, Richard Marks. I feel like we, of course, need to start. Right here waiting? With, with, Come on, let's, man. Let's, let's, let's start with a history of Mr. Marks. I feel like we need to. Because, again, and this is going to become a reoccurring theme, people don't fully understand his impact. And I'm being 100% serious when I say that. Let me start with this factoid about Richard Marks. Do you know that he is one of the only people in the history of music to have a number one hit in four different decades? Did you know that? No. That's Richard Marks for you. Don't underestimate the Marks. I... Hashtag, don't underestimate <laughs> the Marks. I can tell you hits, but decades? No. Go ahead. Okay, he's also... A little bit of a pioneer. Okay, so you know how like every science fiction or time travel movie you see, there's always like the one episode or the one scene where they go back to try to like stop the Nazis. Yeah, yeah, right. So Hitler. like, yeah. yeah. So he was like the version of that for internet trolls. Like he, I think he actually is from the future and and went back to the early 2010s and before to try to stop internet trolling, and he was not successful. No, the time machine broke down. Not because it's still happening. But but he is like a precursor for like, let's take on the troll head on. And there is just so many good stories surrounding this aspect of Richard Marks. But let's, let's talk about Richard Marks as a personality and why he's significant and why we would even talk about him. Let's do that. All right. First of all, uh, born in 1963. Okay. So let's do that math. That makes him now 50, almost 57. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, he has sold. Oh, this is a staggering number. Guess how many how many records he sold? Thirty million. How did you know that? I, that's well, the exact you, number. No, really? Well, that's the number they use. I mean, obviously, it's not the exact number, but yeah, thirty million records. Oh my god! No, because this this morning I was looking up a stat and uh, I realized that Alanis Morissette's Jagged, Jagged Little Pill had sold thirty three million records, which it's is crazy. Which is more than Appetite for Destruction, more than the Black Album, more than. All these other surprising things. So I just pulled that out of my hat. It's, it's huge. He is originally from Chicago, Illinois, and he is now back in Chicago, Illinois. That comes into play. Um, and he was very early on in the music business at the age of five years old, um, singing commercial jingles written by his father's company. So his dad, that's what he does for a living, is he makes commercial jingles. Um, 
<clears throat> Dick Marks. Okay. So he actually, he was a jazz musician, and then he created a company in the early 60s to make jingles. Okay, great. Which is awesome. Yeah. Like, I love that fact, because jingles, especially from that era, are amazing. And there's a lot of very successful people who started in the commercial jingle business. The one that comes to mind is Carol King. Yeah. Right? So this is, he's actually on the recordings at the age of five, uh, Arm and Hammer. He does an Arm and Hammer jingle. He does a Nestle Crunch jingle. Okay. How old do you have to be to be in the union? It's <laughs> a, a great question. I don't okay. know. That's a weird one. Okay. Um. So then fast forward. So he, he starts to grow up. He's 17 years old. He's in Highland Park and he gets a tape in the hands of Lionel Richie. So he's 17, born in 63. That makes him, this is 1980. Yes. Yeah, so, so Lionel, Lionel Richie in the eighties is yeah. like getting him, getting to Lionel Richie alone is amazing. Yeah. So that's post Commodore's uh, "Can't Slow Down" comes out the next year, and like Lionel Richie's the most famous musician. This, like, this except, is it's before Thriller. This is why you're here, because yeah. you just uh, rattle that off the top <laughs> of your head. You don't even have notes in front of you. Yeah. Uh, so Richie, Richie said, "Rich, this is what Richie says." So imagine this. So you just painted a picture of who he is, right? Yeah. So yeah. he looks. He, he listens to it, and he, and he says to Richard, listen, kid, you got problems. I, I can't guarantee anything, but you should move to L.A. Can you imagine, like, Justin Timberlake telling you, listen, Mark, I can't promise anything, but I think you're good enough to move to L.A. You would move to L.A. just to tell people Justin Timberlake told me to move to L.A., right? Yeah, if I was 17, I guess. Otherwise, right now, I'd tell me he's an idiot. So he he immediately <laughs> he immediately graduates. Well, when he graduates in 81, so the next year, he immediately moves to L.A. And he's like, hey, Lionel. <laughs> like, he shows up. It's like, visits Lionel Richie. Um, and so he he starts to get backing vocal gigs. The first thing he does is he gets a minor acting role in a television movie called Coach of the Year with Robert Conrad. So he's acting immediately. And then he's singing in 1984 for one of your favorite people on the planet. 84. Uh, Clue. Gambler. Oh, he's, is, is he a background singer for Kenny Rogers? He's a background singer for Kenny Rogers. And 84, so that's is that Lovell turning around? He's he's in the studio, and he hears Kenny Rogers, like, put the headphones down. You know, I, I, I need a new song. I need a new song. Somebody's got to bring me a new song. Like, literally hears Kenny Rogers say that in the studio. <laughs> and so, like, two days later, he shows up, and he's like, hey, I got this song. Here's a demo tape. It's called Crazy. Rogers records it, takes another one of Richard's songs called What About Me? And this song also had James Ingram and Kim Carnes on it. Oh, I know what song Do you that remember is. this song? Yeah, 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 I do. So the that recording goes number one, adult contemporary, number 15 on the Hot 100, yeah. scrapes into the country and R&B charts. And Crazy goes number one in country, number five in adult contemporary the next year. I mean, it's crazy, yeah. right? So he literally is a backup singer, says, hey, I've got a demo, and and he's a songwriter. I know right? both those songs. But remember, from an, er away. from an early age, he was singing, right? So he's he really feels like a singer. He starts working with producer David Foster. They write songs uh, oh. for Chicago. They write songs for Freddie Jackson. 
the dude is a legit early 80s pop songwriter. Um, so he can cont- he continues though to try to get a record deal because this is what Richard Marx wants to do. He wants to record. We, he's been singing Arm and Hammer jingles, right? He God, wants he's to be a singer. Hanging out with David Foster. I know, isn't this crazy? Yeah. So he goes to every label in Hollywood and they all tell him no. Every, I mean, he's a successful songwriter. He walks in and says, listen, I can sing too. And they, every one of them tells him no. After about four years in of this, the president of EMI Records, Bruce Lundvall, just gives in. He says, fine, we'll sign you. And so Richard Marks, at this point, has been there for like four years, four or five years in Los Angeles. And he's, and he's a songwriter and he's met a million people. So someone hands you a record deal. And what do you do? If someone handed me a record deal and I was going to create something, hand me a podcast. Who do I call? I call my friends. I call you, right? You're my first call. So who does he call? He calls fee way bill. You know who that is? Yes. <laughs> okay. So hold on. Fee way bill front man of a band called the tubes. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know the tubes, please look them up. We, we, that's another episode. She's a beauty. Keep going. Uh, this and, is great. And then he calls a couple people that he knows in a band called the Eagles. Joe Walsh. What? And Randy Eisner. And they come in and... Meisner, I'm sorry. And they make his debut album. Joe Walsh is on Richard Marks' debut. Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. So, okay. We're not even to the, like the controversy part of this episode. It's amazing, right? So, over the course of his career, he sells over 30 million records. He has a stream of hits. My first encounter, brief pause, with Richard Marks that really stands out is I remember someone playing me Hazard. Do you remember Hazard? No. Hazard is a murder ballad. And I heard it when I was like eight. And I was like, what is happening? I was eight years old when I moved Hazard. I haven't heard that song in 30 years. And I, I remember that opening line. And it's this story of like a dead body showing up in Hazard, man. Uh, totally insane, right? So... The, the, the other hits are mega hits. I mean, the other, like, I start with Hazard because not everybody's going to know that one, but you know Endless Summer Nights, you know Hold On to the Nights, you know Right Here Waiting, you know Now and Forever. Should have known better. At the beginning with Donna Lewis, uh, should have known better, Satisfied, Don't Mean Nothing. Oh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, dude. Okay, so all this happens, um, and let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because, like I said, four different decades he has number one hits. So this songwriter thing never stops. Yeah. So this guy has crafted massive amounts of the pop culture fabric that you lay yourself down in every time you engage, especially in music, right? Um, so he has the first album. The first album is very successful. He goes on his first world tour. He opens for REO Speedwagon. He starts quickly booking headlining shows. He goes 14 months straight on the road. He gets nominated for a Grammy Award for Don't Mean Nothing. And then he puts out his second record called Repeat Offender. Yes. This is 1989. Okay, It goes number one on Billboard charts. It goes triple platinum. He sells five million copies. I mean, this is just great. This is like the stuff you make up when you're like making up a, biogra- a biography of like a fictional rock star. You're like, and then he listened to all the success he had. Um, this is how... This is how crazy his and how big he was for a while, right? Um, he performs on the Berlin Wall in 1989. Whoa! And do you know do you know what song he plays on the Berlin Wall in 1989? I'm, I'm including all this because I want you to understand 
how big Richard Marks was because people have missed this. Does he play Imagine? He plays Help by the Beatles on top of the Berlin Wall. And he gets another Grammy nomination for Right Here Waiting. He goes on 1991. He releases Rush Street. Um, Luther Vandross, Billy Joel are doing backing vocals. <laughs> backing vocals. You book Billy Joel and he does backing vocals on your record. Um, <laughs> he does Flesh and uh, Paid Vacations after that. Paid Vacations after that. He goes back to Chicago. This is important. He goes back to Chicago in 94. He does Paid Vacation. Again, he goes platinum. Now, early what? early 90s is the last big, well, really late 90s, the 90s are the last big heyday of like records going platinum like crazy. Like that doesn't happen that much anymore because of streaming and all this stuff. So, but but, but al- like, but also the the, but also Nirvana. Never mind's 91. Yeah. So so here you have like the the entire like Nirvana knocked Michael Jackson's bad out of the number one spot. So then imagine you have Pearl Jam's 10, and you have all this so all so these rock all records. All that is happening. happening. I mean, Cobain dies in 94, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and so it's 94. It's the year Cobain dies, and he has another platinum record with Now and Forever on it. It beat number seven on the Hot 100. Um, and then he goes on 97. He puts out an album, and this is where he's not as popular as he once was. This is where some of the general... I'm on top of the Berlin Wall level popularity and fame starts to fade a little bit. He does a greatest hits record. Um, he does an album. He does a sixth album in 2000. Um, you know, he starts to be on imprints and other types of record labels. You know, it's just, it's the thing that happens when you've been around for a long time. He did something that I did not know. In 2008, he put out a record called duo that is just him and the lead singer of vertical horizon which go i don't even know yeah vertical horizon because of my age was an important band to me but uh, they really had well they had two big hits almost three um but they were an early 2000s pop band and so he does this thing after kind of after their arc um so this is crazy. So this is all just history on Richard Marks to bring you up to roughly 2010 okay. to show you where his career had been and where it had gone. We're in the last decade now. Because we get into the last decade and Richard Marks starts emerging into pop culture conversation a little differently. Now, along this route, he has been married to the same woman the entire time. This plays into these stories that I'm about to tell you. Um to a certain degree. Now, we're to 2010, and this is where it actually gets, like, we actually come into the story, as you and I, real briefly. We we meet. Well. At some point, too. We, we meet and we start a podcast. Yeah. And we have a guest who is a, a of someone that we mutually knew and, and kind of worked with, did some freelance work for and with for a while, and his name is Zach. And Zach... The first time I ever heard this rumor about Richard Marks was from Zach. Do you remember this? You're no, it's you have to jog my memory. Okay, so Zach will tell you the story this way, and he's written about this. He is a, he is a writer. in In 2010, Richard Marks originally appeals appears appeals appears on the bill for a music festival. In Louisville, Kentucky. Yes. Hullabaloo. Called Hullabaloo. Yeah. Now, we could do an episode on Hullabaloo, 
because it was you know everything about it and I don't. It was crazy. It was like I don't I'm trying to think of what to compare it to, but it was like a massive commercial failure. It and was, it, not the Fry Festival. So no, that, it, not it, that level. It, it wasn't. Ja Rule was not involved, but it was like getting kind of close to that. Uh, well, that's unfair. But it was it was a giant colossal failure. But when they originally re- released the lineup, the lineup was really interesting because it was full of people you hadn't really thought about. Like it was just like if you made a fake lineup of like people who had been who had Berlin le- Wall level fame at a certain point, but not now. But maybe not now. Yeah. They were all going to be there, and Richard Marx was among that group of people, and. Then in January, so I forget when they announced that, but pretty quickly there was a public announcement that Richard Marks was no longer going to be on the lineup. And in the aftermath of that, our friend who was writing at the time wrote for a blog yes. or a small publication, and he made a he made a couple jokes about the fact that I'm sure everyone's heartbroken that Richard Marks is not going to show up to Hullabaloo. Um Actually, here, here's the exact line he wrote. Upon hearing the devastating news, and I'm, I'm, he's written about this, so I'm, I, I, we, and we'll put this in the show notes if you want to read Zach's account of this. He wrote on Louisville.com, Sorry, Louisville, you don't have Richard Marks to kick around anymore at Hullabaloo. Um, and if I, it may still exist. I think you can actually read the original article. So, my article, he says, led to hateful comments from Marks' dedicated fans. Um as well as a nasty thread on uh, Richard Marks' dedicated online forum. So he's got a very dedicated fan base, which you will find, and I think it's reoccurring when we talk about people at this stage in their career, that especially now, and even in the last 10 years, the ability of connecting with people over the internet has made that, you know, like you can have a small dedicated fan base. So you can be a band that had a really huge general appeal, but then later, you still are a huge deal to a certain amount of people, and those people are more vocal, and they're able to have your back via social media. Remember what I said about him kind of being the beginning of the yes. troll fighter. So all these people pile on Zach and start sending him email and comments on websites and stuff about how he is awful. And so he's been he's scrolling through these. He's seeing him. He's getting used to him. And, and if you know Zach, Zach revels a little bit in this. I think it's fair to say. I don't think he would take offense at that. He thinks this kind of stuff is funny, as do a lot of journalists and people who know that they can kind of get under people's skin in this type of way. So about two weeks after the publication of that article, he gets an email. And he starts to read the email. And here's the email in its entirety. Zach, that last anonymous post... Uh, there was a comment on the article itself on the website where somebody said they were Richard Marks. That last anonymous post wasn't me, but this is. Turns out having zero to do with putting you in your place, whoever you are. I have insanely loyal and protective fans who not only post online, but then alert me to this kind of mindless crap. Uh, and then occasionally I'll hear about it. I've weathered these kind of nasty attacks for 20 years, mostly by overachievers like yourself, yes, who have Air Canada's In Route magazine as the headline of their resume. So he has gone oh, to Zach's personal website yikes. and looked at, because he's a freelance writer, yeah. and looked at where he's written. Yeah. I was actually looking forward to playing Hullabaloo. Turns out, Richard, you're so lucky you didn't. Uh, it was just one show, and I was offered a tour in China. Like, he's telling this way too much information like bro why are you punching down like this is some writer on a blog 
and Louisville.com has had different phases, and this phase was a little strange. Like, although we can plug what Zach's doing now at the end of this, and yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, Zach is Zach has moved on quite successfully, uh, and he is now trolling other people. Um, nobody important. <laughs> nobody important. Just the guy that owns a White House or lives in the White House, not owns a White House. Thank God. Uh, okay, uh, and then he. So remember, I said that he's been married to the same woman this whole time. Yes. So in the next paragraph, Richard Mark says, oh, yeah, I'm still really happily married to a kind and beautiful woman after 21 years. This is 2010. I have three amazing sons who are great human beings. I still tour and make my own records. I write and produce. He's just like going for it. And then he says, but I realize that's not on par with being editor-in-chief of Louisville.com. Yikes. Right? Yeah. See, like or hate my music, I have for 20 years plus put myself out there and given 100% to my craft. I'm a pro. I never phoned it. I mean, he just keeps going, man. Um. I just got a letter from a young lady whose husband was killed in Iraq and the lyrics to right here waiting were his screensaver. She was not the first to tell me. I mean, like, why are you telling someone all this stuff, right? It's a lot. Uh, so then uh, he makes fun of his, his profile picture. He says, I've looked up a website and looked at a picture of you and seeing your photo, man, your photo is so grim. I can only assume you are a very bitter man who never got a break and doesn't have the talent to deserve one. What? And then I don't remember any of this. Then here's the messed up part. Oh. Up to this point, I'm like, okay, this is pretty funny. Well, that was this is pretty funny for everybody involved. And then he says, and I will not do this either, but he says, Your daughter, who he names, who is one at the time, will certainly grow up to be so proud of you. Oh my gosh. So he's creeped on him enough to know his daughter's name. Signed, Richard Marks. Should have known better. So, uh, using the sender's email address, Zach does online research, and he's pretty sure it's actually from Richard Marks. But he never. But he thought this is not something I should really talk about publicly a whole lot. So he never published anything about it for for several years until. So he, I think. I think he told us this story he did. on our first on our first podcast together in the early stages of that podcast. He was a fairly early guest. And he told us this story. So after that, so after he told so but but remember, he has not published anything about this because he can't actually prove that this is Richard Marks. Yeah? Until he is cruising along salon.com one day in 2013. All right. So right. this happens in 2010. He yeah. tells the story on Ice Cream Headache in 2012. A year and a half later, a story goes up on Salon.com called Richard Marks Hates My Guts by a guy named Ed McClelland. Oh. And Ed McClelland, who is from Chicago, remember I said it's very important that you know about Richard Marks and his Chicago connections, tells a story that he wrote for the morning news in which he... Um, calls him shameless. He says Richard Marks is shameless. Nasty thing to say, a little bit. Apparently, Richard Marks agrees with you. Yeah. Because he then gets in touch with Ed McClelland, and he says, you have to have a face-to-face -face meeting with me. Because they're both in Chicago. Would you say that to my face? He says in an email. Let's find out. Name name the place. This is like shakedown. This is like three o'clock high, man. This is like meet me three at the flag. High. Meet wow. me at the flag. Thanks for that. I actually know what that is. 
<laughs> I will meet We're you anywhere in the city, anytime. School. I don't travel again until the end of the week, so let's hash this out like men. So Ed McClellan says, at first, of course, I didn't think this was real. And then he logs on at this point, so we're, we're far enough in where at 2013, Twitter exists. Yeah. So time traveling Richard Marks has taken to Twitter. Yeah. And he tweets this. So Ed's like, this can't be real. He goes to Richard Marks' Twitter account and he sees this tweet. You call me shameless in print in my hometown but won't respond to my emails to explain. I call hashtag chicken, S-H apostrophe D. Uh, and then that was followed by, hey, and he tags Ted, I'm running some errands. Should I stop by and pick you up some feminine napkins? What? <laughs> so, Ed tells Richard Marks, sure, sure, here's my neighborhood bar. Richard Marks shows up in a Jaguar. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Now, do you understand? Let's pause here. Do you understand why I think it's risky to to post this podcast? Yeah, sure. Okay. I just want to say, if Richard, if you have made it this far, I would like to encourage you to think of this as us laughing with you as opposed to at you. I have not said anything disparaging about you as a person. I, in fact, still love Hazard. Okay. I want to say right here waiting was very pivotal for pretty much... Every relationship that I had between 12 and 15. <laughs> I do remember listening. I remember listening to some like of those ballads and being the like, closer. Like, this is what love must feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so back to Ed. Ed and, Ed and Richard in a, in a Chicago suburb neighborhood bar, Jaguar parked outside. And he turns to Richard and says, Listen, if I, if I offended you personally, man. It was music criticism. I don't think any reasonable reader is going to take it otherwise. I did not intend to reflect on your character. Richard's still mad. He says, man, you called me shameless. Yeah. In my hometown, and my family can read this. So Ed then continues and says, at the time, I thought I was special. <laughs> Meaning, he thought Richard Marks didn't do this to Zach Everson. Did thought he didn't do it to other people throughout, you know, like as a regular thing. Richard Marks tells him, despite 25 years of snarky reviews, I've never met face to face with a writer who's gotten on my bad side. Um, but he says, I just cannot understand why a famous musician who sold 30 million records has been so overwrought and had to dress me down in person. He even says self into Paris shoes, not Richard Mark's shoes, because I'm not going to be in Richard Mark's shoes, but in a musician's shoes where there's a music crit critic that's slagging me off. It's like to, I could imagine being like, well, I understand you're never really talented to make enough music. So you took a job so you could slag off other people's music. I get it. That's your job. Well, that's exactly what he says, <laughs> right. more or less, in all these letters. Yeah. So you this, don't have enough talent. You're a writer and you get to this, pass judgment on whether you like other music. This is what Ed finds out. Ed then finds out that there is a long line of these stories, Zach only being one of them. After a blogger for the Chicagoist calls him the Midwest's answer to Billy Joel, Marks responds with a series of testy emails. Um, then, Marks doesn't show up for a public radio station appearance because he said it was raining and he had bronchitis and he couldn't find parking. And when the radio show host says something about it, he goes to Twitter and uses 
a word that starts with a P to describe criticizing him as being that type of move. Um, and then he he calls the guy on the radio, on the NPR station. We're not talking about a shock jock. We're talking about somebody on NPR. And he calls him a coward, a D-bag, and a jerk. Um, Coming up next on All Things Considered, a D-bag <laughs> and a jerk responds to Richard Marks. Oh, wow. So, um, it's, it's just, it, it just goes on and on, and it's unbelievable. Now, here's to your, to your earlier point, and, and our friend Ed actually makes this point. Again, all these links will be in the show notes. According to the RIAA, the Recording Industry of America, Marx's quadruple platinum album, Repeat Offender, has sold more copies than, ready? Yes. Blonde on Blonde, <laughs> or Pet Sounds. Yeah, right. Isn't that unbelievable? No. It's unbelievable. It's it's it, it shows like how those songs were how popular those songs were. It's I mean it's just it's crazy, man. Um there are there are more of these. One time he found out that um David Foster, who he had worked with, yeah. David Foster received twice as much airtime as he did on a WGN TV, like Chicago, Chicago. television. Yeah, sure. Uh thing. He said a six minute segment and three anchors. Marks emailed the producer. So I sell over 30 million albums and write 13 number one songs. And I produce Josh Groban and Barbara Streisand and many more. And you might let me squeeze out three minutes. And even that may involve you dancing like an idiot behind me. Next time you need someone to sing on your show, just call David. So, I mean, now there's, now there's a theory, right? Like, so again, the timeline is important. We're in 2013. There's a theory that he does this basically to, like, keep himself in the public eye, right? Like, okay. is he self-aware enough yeah. that he's like, you know what? If if I just start these fights, people will do podcasts about me, and they'll talk about me, and they'll write articles about me. And if that's the game I have to play, then that's the game I have to play. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, this, this didn't work for Ryan Adams. It's yeah, it totally didn't work for Ryan Adams, but probably for other reasons. Now, yeah, because people just thought he was a jerk. So then he publishes. Ed publishes this article. I, I, I suppose it's this article, and this is like an addendum to this article. So he publishes it, and immediately, within less than twenty four hours. Okay. He hears from Richard Marks again. And Richard Marks says, I'm sending you this email, and I dare you to publish it. So guess what he does? Okay, so I want to hear Richard Marks' email. McClelland, he calls him by his last name. I'm still laughing at your tweet today, suggesting that I, quote, let this go when it was you, eight months after I had done just that, face-to-face, who chose to print another public attack on my character and in an extra debaggy move, include my private emails to you. We'll see if you have the guts to reprint this email unedited. First, let's cover the inaccuracies of your piece today. First, your editor, who's not named, but whose identity I can easily find, is a liar. I've never tipped less than 20% in my adult, adult life. So uh, apparently, he, it's a different article. He I forgot this. He prints his article and he says something about how he's a bad tipper, right? That like his editor had seen him and he's a bad tipper. So he go, he goes to task about that. 
Then he's apparently had insulted something about his height. And so he says, oh, and I'm also taller than my wife, but despite being 5'10", people think I'm shorter all the time. Bizarre. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. Then he, he, he says something about how, uh, second, to assume you can crawl inside my head and know that my mo- what my motivation for writing a song is, is arrogance reserved for the likes of Hitler and Stalin. I don't understand. <laughs> what is... What? Third, my Christmas album was and is available everywhere. Like, apparently there was something about how he did a deal with Target. Um, lastly, your statement, Richard Marx is married to a model, is not only inaccurate, but insulting to my wife of 24 years, who is a former professional dancer and actress who has co-starred in more than one iconic film. It should be pointed out, Cynthia Rhodes was Penny and Dirty Dancing. You are correct, despite your childish description of my appearance, that I have not had plastic surgery uh, I mean, he just goes on and on and on and on. And if you want to read this, again, we're going to put it in the show notes. But the point that you need to know about this and Richard Marks is that Richard Marks has a history of taking on people who he feels have wronged him. Now, I'm not done yet. There's two more instances I would like to talk about. Okay. Do you have something to add? No, when you're done, I want you to finish. So This is amazing. So, you might think that's where the story ends. That was 2013. We don't hear about Richard Marks sending a lot of emails for a few years. And then, all of a sudden, CNN is talking about Richard Marks again in 2016. Okay. Right. In 2016, Richard Marks has now... I'm only going to mention this. I feel like I have to like qualify everything because Richard Marks might actually listen to this. Um, Richard Marks and Cynthia Rhodes are no longer married. So I only point that out, A, because he brings it up, and every time he insults someone, he he brings up the fact that he's been married for a long time. And they split in like 2014. Do you know who Richard Marks is married to now? No. I I want to say something totally random. Can I say something? Uh Uh-huh. Richard Marks is Zoolander good-looking. <laughs> and he hasn't had plastic surgery, apparently. That doesn't mean that. Okay, so I could look it up, but... Okay, so go ahead and tell everyone who he's married to now. He's married to Daisy Fuentes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so Richard, Richard Marks is killing it. That's what I'm saying. Richard, you're killing it, man. Don't worry about the haters. You're killing it. Also, he's a superhero. That's the story I'm about to tell. So he's on a career a Korean air flight with Daisy Fuentes... A lot of the pictures of this come from Daisy Fuentes. That's why I bring up who he's married to. Um, and uh, a guy gets super unruly on this Korean air flight. All right. He starts yelling. Uh, he starts pushing flight attendants. He pulls her hair, right? Daisy Fuentes' hair? No, he pulls the flight attendant's hair. The flight attendant is trying to get him to calm down, right? And at some point, they've got a stun gun on this guy, the whole thing. <laughs> The crew, according to Marx, completely ill-prepared and untrained. Flight attendants don't know how to use their taser and never fully gain control of the passenger sitting in a front row. Or, or sitting in the same row. So he's in the same row. So it's Richard Marx, it's Daisy Fuentes, it's unruly passenger on Korean Air, Korean Air Flight sitting there. And he won't calm down. They keep sitting next to him. And they don't know how to use the taser. So, because this is 
Korea? They t- tie his hands? Like, they bring out rope, and they tie this guy's they hands. They don't have twisty ties? They, they don't have cable ties? They have rope. Okay. They, I, dude, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that so ha- that that's not an that's not an incredibly odd thing. I was gonna say that seems weird to me, but if you're telling me that that's regular, okay, I'll take it. It's not regular. I'm just saying there's been times where people have been tied to a seat. In a statement, Korean Air said its flight attendants followed response protocol in subduing the passenger with ropes. Flight attendants did not deploy the taser. The airline said because quote the unruly passenger was moving around and there were other passengers near him, namely Daisy Fuentes. Uh, The flight attendant considered the safety of the other passengers and decided to restrain the passenger with ropes. Now, there are pictures, which, again, we will put in the show notes, that they couldn't really get the ropes on the guy. So, guess who came to the rescue? Yes! (laughs) Richard Marks takes down the haters on Earth and in the air. Richard Marks wins. So, he is there. Literally a picture of Richard Marks on this plane with rope subduing this guy on a Korean air flight. Oh, I can't wait to see it. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, Richard Marks is Zoolander good looking. Yes, he is. And he will put up with none of your BS. No. That's what I'm saying. Now, there is one more addendum to this, which is that he's not completely off his Twitter game. Uh, you might have seen in 2018, to get us a little close to current day, that he got into an online fight with uh, Piers Morgan because of an interview that Piers Morgan did with Donald Trump, which he thought was not very good. And um, he said he didn't go hard enough on Trump. Uh, on Twitter, he said um, that he called Piers Morgan cowardly during his interview with President Donald Trump. He kicked things off with a reaction to the segment from the sit-down, which had to do with retweeting anti-Muslim videos. He says, so the sitting POTUS admits he he retweeted a far right-wing extremist group despite knowing nothing about them, begrudgingly apologizes. Piers Morgan is too cowardly to call out the recklessness of his actions. Morgan responds. Piers Morgan, clearly in his own British bubble, has not Googled a single thing about Richard Marks and what he does when people call him names. And he decides to put on Twitter... Uh, I got him to apologize. Pipe down, you ludicrous little twerp. Oh. That's what Piers Morgan writes to Richard Marks. And now at this point in the program, I think we could all say Richard Marks, or we could all say Piers Morgan, you poor fool. You should have known better. I <laughs> I, am so, <laughs> I am so ready to hear about Richard Marks uh, throwing him outside the ring and uh, body slamming, slamming him through a table and suplexing him on the concrete floor. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite get that good, but he does shoot back. Anyone with a working single brain cell knows that you have the integrity of a used car salesman, Piers Morgan, and you keep yeah. proving it while abusing your opportunities, you you pathetic creep. Piers Morgan still doesn't understand that this could be a three o'clock high situation, and he writes back, wait a minute, are you the Richard Marks, the guy who hasn't had a hit in the millennium? Jeez, no wonder you're bitter. And I believe that was the end of it. Oh, all right. Or at least the end that was that's worth reporting. But I will say, um, Pierce Morgan oh, sucks. Holy cow! So I, I I do feel like we need to take a moment on rock and roll bedtime stories and say that we do not endorse anyone that's been hating on Richard Marks. Yeah, we are we are merely telling the story. We are compiling the story and and letting you know that 
honestly, sounds like Richard Marks is a pretty loyal guy. Like, if you're on the Richard Marks team, I think Murdoch and I would like to officially say that we're we're on Team Marks. And if Richard Marks needs any help, let us know. Because <laughs> I don't want to be on non-Team Marks. That's no, for sure. It doesn't seem like a good place to be. I I have a couple things. Is that that it? Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, that's it. So I, I had a couple things. Um, I, I don't know if Richard Marks would listen to this, but but Richard, if if you I, I don't are, know. he might. He sounds like it, he might look in iTunes to see if there's new podcasts. It, about. If you are, I want you to know that Zach, who we spoke about at the beginning of the at the podcast, has a has a has a new blog that's called Eleven Hundred Pennsylvania, where he's been just watching Donald Trump and his hotel and everything he's doing that basically has violated the emoluments clause since the moment the guy got into office, and it's fascinating. He's got all the pictures of people. They just go and put pictures of them on Instagram of everybody doing all the everything that they're doing in the hotel, and it's fascinating. And Zach's actually an amazing journalist, so um, it's interesting. The other thing I wanted to say, and it's a hypothesis, and I can't prove it because I don't know. It just is tickling me that maybe it's something and maybe it's true what if this is all a hilarious thing and he is the anti-troll and he's doing this because it's fun because why not if you have this opportunity and you have the ability to have this these kind of conversations with critics that are being like don't like your music or who you are and you get to do this and you're in a position like, that you're in. you're winning you're you win it really doesn't matter and, and that's that's you're kind of making the same argument that other people would make for him not doing it which is like you've already won why are you punching down like somebody actually says that in one of these articles like why does he not know the rule about punching down but to your point it's like if you can and there's no repercussions like there's no repercussions other than two guys in kentucky might make a podcast talking about it there's no real repercussions to doing this. He's not doing anything illegal. He's not really being ugly. He's being a little bit playground. I will tell you, I honestly, a few years ago, like when we first heard this story from Zach, it seemed more ridiculous. Now with the current president of the United States, it doesn't seem ridiculous at all. It seems like, why doesn't everyone do this? Because clearly the president of the United States does this. Can you imagine? I mean, he was like pre-Trump in it. Can you imagine selling 30 million records and working with Luther and Lionel and Billy Joel and David Foster and have somebody who is a failed musician or a non-musician say that you're shameless or you haven't had a hit. Can you imagine being in that position, sitting in your house and reading that and being like, Hey, let me just paint what, this picture. What a, what a, what a, what a loser. Daisy Fuentes is next to you while, while you're looking at this. <laughs> yes. Right, right. Let's, 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 let's not, let's just not, let's not poke fun at how amazing I had celebrity, poke celebrity, fun. celebrity crush. I was going to say who, who didn't have a crush on Daisy Fuentes but at some point in their life. The, the Korean air story is amazing. I mean, that's why, and that's why I wanted to do, have this do this episode because at first it's just a guy sending emails that sound like our president, which is not interesting. But if you, if the story changes and Donald Trump ties, actually, I, I don't want to see Donald Trump tie some guy up with rope, but like there is a different element to it in the, Hey, this is how much I will take on injustice. Like I won't just take on when I feel like there's right. injustice happening to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm on a flight 
with my wife, this guy in my row won't calm down. The, the people who are in charge are not big enough to handle this thing. Let me get up and take care of this. Do you know who? I'm Richard right. Marks. Right. Do you know who does that on a plane? Richard Marks. Go ahead, <laughs> right? When there's a plane and there's a disturbance, people do that pedestrian thing where they. No oh, they one, look the other way. No one wants to do anything. No, man. Richard Marks, he's no repeat offender. He's not up for repeat offender. Sorry, I'll stop. Yeah. I'll stop. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that vacation was paid? He probably paid for that vacation, right? Yeah. Paid vacation? Sure. Why are you doing <laughs> I fell for that. It's so easy. This, by the way, was terrific. Oh, my God. And next time, Mark tells me a story. I can't wait. It's rock and roll bedtime stories. Get involved. Send us notes. Let's talk about it. We are the story guys at gmail.com. If you have a Richard Marks story, uh, let us hear it. Richard Marks, you can email us. I just want you to know we love you. We're huge Richard Marks fans. Oh, and to prove how much we love you, in my research for this, I found out he's got a brand new record about to drop. Really? <laughs> yeah. He's got- It's 2020. He's got- a, Yeah, it's 2020. He's got a brand new record, and it is called- I want to say it's called Limitless, and it's out February 7th, and you can find out more at richardmarks.com. I promise he didn't pay us for this episode, but I'm a no. little scared of him showing up at my house, so Richard Marks, by the record, it's Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, uh, and we'll be back soon, and we, in the meantime, there's something we want you to do. Keep telling stories. Even if they're about Richard Marks. Especially yeah. <laughs> if they're about Richard Marks on a plane. 